Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Hello and welcome to this special episode of the show. As you can see, I am here on camera. This is the first solo episode that is going live on YouTube with video and also on Spotify. So if you like to watch video when you're consuming your podcasts, all episodes going forward, I hope for the most part will be on video. If there's something that comes up where it's gotta be audio, that's just what it'll be. But for for the most part going forward, all episodes will be on video because of just how many more people we can reach is exponential. So I'm grateful that you're here, whether you're just listening in or if you're also checking out the video, wherever it is that you enjoy the show, I'm so grateful for you. It means a lot that you're here. It's the reason I produce this show. So today, what I'd love to talk about, which is, I think, a very important topic is something called the Four Horsemen. It's a concept that the Gottman Institute has coined. And I think it's important because we get into really entrenched patterns in relationships. And I see this in the couples that I coach. I do couples coaching with couples where one or more individual has PTSD and they're first responders so or military. So that's police officers or uh, generals, sergeants, depending on their role. And they've most of them have been in a first responder type role for 20 to 30 years. And so, um, you know, they've seen a lot of things and, and been in very challenging situations. And I'm so grateful for both their service and really their, their willingness to go out and get support after having witnessed and been a part of such challenging situations. And it's one of my most fulfilling, I mean, all the work I do is fulfilling, but it, it truly feels like I'm making a difference when I get to support these couples. And what I've noticed is that we get very entrenched in patterns. So we'll have a certain way that we relate. And this is not just with a romantic partner, right? I mean, this is with a romantic partner. It's with parents, it's siblings, friends, even the way that we relate to acquaintances. Our relationships really do get into these sort of grooves of who we are as a person and how we see ourselves and therefore how we conduct ourselves in our relationships. And what this framework does is it allows us to see these four horsemen that sort of infiltrate relationships. They kind of sometimes sneak under the radar of our relationships and can really cause a lot of trouble for us. And so the four, what they are, if we start there is the first one is criticism. I think we all know criticism pretty well. We do it to ourselves. We do it sometimes to partners. We might do it internally and not verbalize it. So that's another thing to take note of. There are things that we might be doing in our mental models that don't translate to the way we conduct ourselves, but they're still impacting the relationship because they're in our mind. So, I mean, if you're internally criticizing your partner for the way they're driving or the way they load the dishwasher or um, the way they walk the dog or anything. If you're internally criticizing someone in that way, that's building resentment. And if you're not sharing that with them in a healthy way, can be really problematic down the line because that 
again, that groove, we're sort of in getting entrenched in a certain pattern of behavior with individuals. That's why I think in the beginning of relationships, it can feel easier because and exciting because we're navigating. And as time goes on, when I chat with couples where it's 30 years of marriage, there's this groove that they're in that they may or may not be comfortable with, they may or may not like, but they've gotten so accustomed to. It's it's the normal of the situation, but it doesn't have to be, and it's not always optimal. And so there's a lot we can do. And criticism is something that I think infiltrates a lot of relationships and our own self-talk about ourselves. So if we have something that we criticize ourselves for and someone comes in and touches upon it, right? You feel that burn because it's something you're already maybe insecure about, you worry about, it's something you criticize yourself for. And then someone comes in, says that thing and bam, right? It, It leads you down that thought path of, all sorts of different criticisms maybe and questions like, am I good enough? Am I important? We go down the rabbit hole, right? If somebody touches on a soft spot for us. So criticism is often verbal, um, but I actually, and this is just my opinion, but I see it um, not just verbally attacking someone's personality, character or actions, I would add. Um, And I have the Gottman link here so that I make sure I do them justice. And I'll link to this so that you can have a look at Gottman's interpretation and how they share this information. I'm going off of their information alongside what it is that I've seen in my coaching practice. So you have verbal criticism of someone's personality or character. I think it can also be of someone's actions, which is really an important piece. And then it can also be via body language, I think. So it's not just verbal. I think you can criticize somebody with a look, with being in a stonewalling fashion, or if you go quiet, if you sort of turn away from them when they're trying to share something, if you're not present. I think all of these little, there are little body language cues that can be absolutely signs of criticism. And you're not outwardly saying it, but you're showing someone that you don't respect what they're saying, what they're doing, or you're criticizing them via your body. So body language. So I think that's something to take note of. Often criticism, we think right away it's someone saying a mean word, but I think we can slight people in other ways. And definitely it's something to consider, especially if you think, okay, I don't criticize people or I don't say it out loud, but maybe it shows all over your face, which by the way, you know, (laughs) my face is definitely expressive. And so I totally get that where if something hurts me or upsets me or bothers me, I can do what I can to not say something in the moment if I need to hold it together, right? But my face will probably share the the sadness, the disappointment, um, the anger, the frustration, whatever spectrum of emotion I'm having. So criticism is an interesting thing. And I think that we need to look at the nuance of not only, okay, what did someone specifically say out loud, but what was their physical response and reaction? And so the way that the antidotes that this site shares is to use I statements, talk about your feelings, express a positive need. So what they're saying there is, okay, I feel sad when you don't call me back when you say you will. I would really appreciate it if, or I would like it if, or it would mean a lot to me if you called me 
called me after your workout, if you called me back at the end of your meeting, if you're busy or so whatever it is that your need is. So that's sort of a structure and a format for what you can do. Again, I'd like to take it a step further because what I find with criticism in particular is it's really easy for the other person to, of course, with actually with any of these, right, get their walls up about, well, but, you know, it's true <laughs> with criticism. So, hey, you know, I really don't like how you, the, the table's still dirty. You didn't even clean it, right? And it's like, well, that hurts me. And the person will go right to, yeah, but it's true, right? Like, look at the table. It's not done properly. So we can justify, we can try to find factual information that, hey, I'm just trying to help you out or I'm trying to make you better. Or I'm trying to support the situation. And while it might be true in a factual sense, I think in that moment, we have a missed, we have a missed moment for connection, a missed moment for interaction and connection and to repair the frustration. And I think that we might want to also add acknowledgement to the equation of the person who's criticizing because they're doing it for a reason. It might not be a reason that you like, it might not be a good reason in your mind, but there's a reason why someone's coming to you and saying, oh, you know, the, the table's not cleaned properly and you didn't take out the garbage and what are you doing? And, oh, you know, they're, they're going off on you. There's a reason for that. And not to say that it, it, you want to justify that behavior, but to say that if you want to connect with your partner or your friend or whoever it is that we're talking about here, there is room to say, hey, you know, I noticed that you're frustrated. What's what's going on or what's this about? Or, uh, you know, is there something more to this? Or how was your day? Or do you want to talk? Can we talk? Anything that can open up, I think, the discussion. And I mean, there, you have to read the situation. That's why it's always so interesting in relationships because there's so many nuances to it. And that's why I'm fascinated by human relationships. But I think if somebody just comes out of seemingly nowhere, let's say even parent, parent child relationship. And I see this in the coaching work I do with teens. They're on my case to get a job. They're on my case to finish my applications for a university or for the internship or whatever, right? They're on, my parents are on my case and we can feel this way also about boss manager type and employee relationships, anywhere where there's a power structure. It's like this person is exerting their power or control over me. I'm annoyed <laughs> or they're criticizing me with that first example. And I think it's really interesting to understand where it is that that's coming from. So as kids, we really internalize what our parents say and take it on as it's my fault or there's something wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Am I good enough? And that's where we, in my understanding of it, really take on some of these really challenging beliefs that challenge us into adulthood. And sometimes we never consciously get over them. But I think the opportunity is when we are at an age where we can maybe ask a question or we can go a step further is if someone's criticizing us, we can ask, you know, where's this coming from? How are you? How's your day? Are you, what's going on with you? Because I find that normally it can be something even as interesting as if somebody is cold in a room and they're uncomfortable, but they don't necessarily consciously recognize that they're cold and uncomfortable and hungry, they might start criticizing the location or the environment or certain things. But they might not say, hey, I'm cold. Can we move inside? I just had this examples at the top of mind. So they won't, they won't share their need or their want or their true desire. They'll share a 
a criticism or a judgment or something negative rather than their need. So I think there's one side of this where you might, if someone's criticizing you, you might want to share your need, but you might also want to figure out what their need is and get curious about that. So the next one is contempt. It says attacking sense of self with an intent to insult or abuse. So hmm. this is interesting because you're essentially, it's similar to what we said about character, but it's someone's perception of themselves. And so self it could be self-esteem. Like we're looking at, you're really, you're really attacking the person, even if your issue with the person is something else. You're, you you want to go right for the jugular in this setting if you're using contempt. And it's actually interesting. There's been research done on this. And in terms of um, Gottman's work with married couples, it was something like 90% of couples would get divorced if in one of these interviews uh, there was eye rolling happening. And that can be a sign of disrespect, but also can be contemptuous depending on the context of the discussion. And I think that if you're at contempt where somebody's really insulting or abusing you to the core of, of who you are and try to knock you off of who you are or, or has you questioning if you're a good person, I think that first of all, that person's probably in some pretty intense pain themselves. And I mean, there are two sides to this, right? It's not about just taking this type of behavior and being okay with it and then trying to help the other person. And that is often our instinct. Hey, this, this person's being really mean to me. They must be suffering in some way, or I need to fight back. Or what am I supposed to do with this? Am I bad? And so those are kind of the three ways, like we'll take it into, okay, what's wrong with them? What did I do wrong? Um, or, you know, I must be missing something kind of scenario. And I think that with contempt, there's definitely some deep seated stuff and it's probably a deeper relationship. We don't often have contempt for someone that we don't know, or we can have contempt for someone that we think we know. So if, if someone feels closer to you, than you are, there can be issues there. I think their recommendation on the Gottman site is to build a culture of appreciation. So remind yourself of your partner's positive qualities and find gratitude for positive actions. I, again, have to be a bit critical and say, I think that there's more to contempt and it's more deep seated than to just kind of start saying thank you or being grateful for things. I think that gratitude is important in a relationship no matter what. So when someone does something for you, showing appreciation is huge, especially for someone whose love language, which is in a past episode, I talked about the Gottman, sorry, the Chapman five love languages. I think if someone is really big on words of affirmation, then telling them you appreciate them after they do something for you, really, really big. Uh, a gift, if someone is all about receiving gifts, you know, if they do something for you, you give them a gift, they'll love that in return or an act of service, doing them a favor after they do something for you. So knowing something, giving them a hug if they like physical touch. So really knowing who your partner or who you're dealing with and then being able to reciprocate in their language. That's sort of what that episode was about. I think that, as I've said, is a superficial attempt to work on contempt. 
because I think if somebody's coming at you with contempt and if they're trying to attack you to really insult you and really bring you down, there's a lot there. And just thanking them for things is probably not going to be enough in my estimation. I think what needs to happen is, again, curiosity and a deep inquiry into where is this coming from? And not because you need to understand the root cause, but because couples have patterns. And I'll do another episode on this because this has been pervasive in any couples coaching I have done to date, any coaching I've done to date. If somebody has a problem with another person, they're running a pattern. There's a certain pattern. And like I said, we get into these grooves and there's a pattern of the dynamic that just, you notice that, right? There's certain people that they just grade on you and anything they say, they bother you. But then there are other people who could probably say similar things, give you similar feedback, but you're open to it and you don't mind. And yes, it's a part of how they give you the feedback or how they talk to you. But there's also this other layer of it, which is you are anticipating the person's response. You are anticipating how somebody is going to receive something, come at something. This person is this way. We make these assumptions to help us navigate the world which are great and useful, but I think we get really entrenched in the patterns. And so if somebody's contemptuous towards you, especially a partner, there's some deep resentment, deep anger, deep fear or frustration kind of driving that because it's been reinforced perhaps for so long. I see this with married couples. If one or both of them feel resentful for either giving up a career or uh, not following a life dream in order to sacrifice for their partner which happens a lot with first responder families, mainly if they're stationed in different places or have to move around. There's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of frustration. And, you know, my partner was away for many years of our marriage, et cetera. So I can definitely see how contempt kind of lurks in the shadows and definitely becomes stronger and stronger if, well, if you don't talk about it and if you're not even conscious to it yourself, like if you just are resenting the person and you kind of, you want, you feel you feel this need to tear them down because there's, I mean, to that point, it's almost like an enemy, right? Like to some point. Um, and I mean, again, in Gottman's work, it's something like you need at least five positive interactions for every negative interaction. But then if it goes beyond to 11, you're also looking at problems in the relationship because people want a sparring partner. They don't want to bulldoze over someone and a lot of people cite Gottman's work in this regard because they have done so much extensive work in studying couples and, and marriages in particular so really an interesting place to go to for further studies and resources on relationships if you're interested but I would say yeah okay appreciation but if you really want to deal with it with contempt as one of the four horsemen I think you've got to go deeper to really understand okay why are you doing this to me? And if you feel contempt, contempt towards someone, then I think equally, there's definitely some investigation as to, okay, what's fueling this? What in this dynamic? And it could be something that happened years ago that you've held on to, that you continued to wrestle with for years that you say, no, this is really bugging me. And I haven't said anything. Uh, and, and I find that I, I think from my experience, when I consider couples and, and individuals I think if someone's really attacking your sense of self and trying to knock you off and destabilize you knock you off your center and destabilize you I think I think there's more than just manipulative intent there 
And if it's somebody that's not as close to you, then yeah, they might be using a sense of manipulation to kind of keep you on your toes. But then if they're not that close to you, you probably want to ask why you're interacting with that person if you don't have to, because someone that's trying to destabilize your sense of self is not willing, or at least in that moment, is not considering a problem solution mindset. They're, they're just trying to hurt you to either disempower you and then make you weak so that they can manipulate you you know, it's, it's not a good road. I don't think so. If someone's contemptuous toward you, it's that next step beyond criticism. And I think that there's really some, some work to be done there. And especially if it's happening regularly. And if you are contemptuous towards your partner, I really think that maybe chatting with somebody in a mediated environment could be of use or just a it could be even somebody you trust family or friend but just to have that forum for discussion where you feel safe where you could consider the source of this very strong wish why 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 are you trying to insult me and put me down like where is this coming from right there's a deep hurt there's a deep issue that's coming from this so just being appreciative building a culture of appreciation, I've got to tell you, I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's enough when someone is contemptuous towards you and they're going to show you that more than once for you to be looking up this article or having a real issue in your relationship. So I I think that one in particular needs to be taken a step further. I think criticism and contempt as two of the horsemen need to be looked at in terms of the source and if there are deeper resentments, angers, fears at the co- at the root cause of it. And I often in coaching, we're not meant to look at root cause. Really, we're looking at, okay, where are you at? This is coaching, right? Where are you at? Where do you want to be? And the coach is there to get very clear on your point B, that pot of gold or that milestone you want to get to. And then, you know, they support you to get there through the roadblocks. And maybe they have some tools because they've helped people go along this journey over, over point a through the curves and valleys into point B. So that's a coach. We're not necessarily looking at where were you last year, maybe for some insights, but we're not meant to be there. What I'm talking about in terms of root cause is not necessarily talk therapy where you need to go into like what happened when you were four years old so that you you have this resentment toward your mom. And so you're taking out that resentment towards your mom on me might be a bit much. And we do we do see from the research I've done at least that a lot of times if somebody's bothering you in the moment and you feel contemptuous towards someone, oftentimes there's something that from your past that's guiding that level of contempt. And I, I see this too where even with criticism, we get so ingrained. So if our parents criticized us for not being not cleaning our room enough, not cleaning our car or not looking good enough for so many of these where it's like you know my parents would ask me why I'm not wearing makeup if I had a pimple or making you feel self-conscious about your body all these different layers and I think if it starts as a kid you might have that same tendency to propagate that pattern and that cycle with your partner or kids and because you criticize yourself in that regard and you're you're careful about that in your life and your mindset and the way you present yourself or act really easy to put that on your partner and be like what's wrong with you you're not dressed or you don't look good or you're being lazy or whatever it is and that's the thing too that I think for self-inquiry I think it's really powerful because we in the space we talk about this a lot if 
there's something that someone else is doing that we don't like, you know, look in the mirror because if you're criticizing them, it's something that, you know, you want to work on or need to work on, et cetera. So if you, if you're criticizing someone for not cleaning their room or not calling you back or not saying, I love you or not being affectionate enough or whatever, whatever that thing is that the other person is not being enough. I think that as the person criticizing and don't get me wrong, I think we all do it internally or verbally outwardly to our partners. I think if you're the criticizer in this scenario, I think there's an opportunity to also look and say, why am I being so critical? Where is this coming from? Why, why is, does this really matter? Do I really need to criticize? How can I say this in a more constructive way? How can I ask for what I want? What do I want? What do I need? And going through and really seeing, hey, you know what? I'm not actually frustrated about the fact that they're late. I'm frustrated about the fact that we don't ever have a date night and get time together and I feel disconnected. Oh, okay. So maybe I can say that part rather than you're always late and you never do this and you always do that. And that's another sort of pattern that I think I'd like to look at in another episode with you because it really helps to understand our mental models and our patterns of thinking, the always and never kind of statements that are just these broad sweeping generalizations that don't necessarily don't necessarily help us because nobody always does something or never does something and it just magnifies the situation. So we'll go through a couple of those. I think that would be really fun. I find it super useful and couples seem to as well. So we can go through that. Um, but let's let's keep rolling here because I get on a I get on a tear and then I'm just rolling with my thoughts. So yeah, I think criticism on the side of the criticizer, really look at hey, why am I why am I criticizing this person? Is it something, is it a standard that I feel I'm not upholding in my life? Or is it a pattern? Is it do I do I remember this from my parents and I'm like, do I want to propagate this pattern? Is this who I want to be? And for the person being criticized, I think you have an opportunity to check in and of course also set a boundary. So I want to be very fair that even with criticism, contempt, um, and the next two, if you're being, if, if your partner is showing up with this behavior, you certainly are not responsible for fixing that. And you're definitely not responsible for it happening. And you're not the person that needs to really deal with it. So if you need space away from it and you feel that you're not being respected or you feel that uh, it's overwhelming for you or you're going to a place where you're just criticizing each other back and forth or the volume's getting higher in the conversations are just getting louder, people are yelling or you're just withdrawing, you have nothing to say and they're just criticizing you and you've just kind of withdrawn and frozen. Any of those situations, I think the best bet is to take a break if you can. Um, letting the person know, hey, you know, I'm just going to pa hit pause here and let's come back to this later today, tomorrow, whatever the case is. I think that that's really important, especially for people that can get emotionally flooded and overwhelmed by things quickly. So, or more quickly than their partner. And again, oh, I see this too with couples. If one person's high volume and another one's low volume, right? So the high volume person's yelling and they're really upset. The low volume person is just, I mean, they're done, right? And they're just like, this is too much. I have nothing to say. I can't even, I feel like I don't even have room to interject here. Forget it. I'm done. Uh, this really helps with couples like that. So that the person that's high volume, which often is coming from the way their family dealt with it is when they were kids, right? They've yelled, they were loud family. So 
if you're that person, you know, you might have to kind of cool it down and bring it back and reel it in and let it go in other ways and then come back and be able to have a discussion with the, the tone that feels safe and approachable for your partner or else you're really not getting to your goal, which is I want to be heard. I want this person to understand my point of view. You're not getting any understanding when you're at different volumes and this person is shut down and this person is screaming like, or vice versa. Like you're just not, you're not getting to your true goal, which is see me, understand me. This is important to me. That's why I'm getting upset. I'm getting passionate. I'm, you know, getting fired up. Somebody like that. I mean, they just want to be heard and understood and seen. And if they're not getting that and you're shutting down on the other side, we're not getting to our goal anyway. So I think a break really helps with most situations to just bring it back down to a place where emotionally, mentally, you can hear each other because that's the whole point of why someone's getting so passionate and yelling about something is they really want to make the point known. Okay, so criticism, contempt, you have an option to gentle startup and build a culture of appreciation, but I take a step further and say, get really curious, look at why you're approaching it this way, maybe take a break in the conversation, ask the person where it's coming from, if there's something else they want to talk about. And another tip that I think is really great around probably any of these is also backtracking. So it's a skill that we learn in coaching and I think different professions learn it's probably very useful in customer service where if somebody's frustrated and they really want to be heard and if someone's criticizing you and you can kind of step back from it and say, okay, this is about them. I can support them. Again, if something's getting hostile or, or too much, then I mean, you know, all bets are off. But if you're in a place where you can support somebody, I think that you have the opportunity to go ahead and say, hey, I see this is frustrating you. Here's what I'm hearing you say. And there's a whole repertoire on nonviolent communication. And I'll link to that too. Uh, but really, I think the, the main thing I want to say is if someone wants to be understood, right? It's that person, they're getting passionate, they're upset. You didn't do this, you didn't do that. You're not listening to me now. You're not, you don't think I'm important. You don't care about me. You don't love me. I'm not important to you. Like they're just going straight from this specific thing that set them off into like, you are bad and I dislike you right now. <laughs> If they're going to that direction, then I think you have the opportunity to backtrack and that's specifically using the exact words that they are to have them feel understood. So they're saying, you know, I'm frustrated because you didn't take out the garbage and you don't care about the house and you never do anything around the house. And you say, okay, I hear that you're frustrated that I didn't take out the garbage. It's like, yeah, right, because you said exactly what it is that they said, there's no rebuttal and you're right because you've mimicked them exactly. And I see this with couples a lot where actually one person will say, I'm really frustrated. I want more time with you alone. We do stuff with couples all the time, but you never want to hang out with just me. We're always with other couples. This is really frustrating. Why can't we hang out together alone? And the other person says, you don't understand. My, our friends are important to us. We get time alone while we're with the couples. I, you know, And the, the defensiveness creeps in, which by the way is the third horseman. So defensiveness creeps in, hey, but this, 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 you're kind of putting up a shield, you're giving justifications, you might even start to victimize yourself. It's like, no, but I, I plan dates with you and we spend time together. And what are you talking about? You start putting up the shield and the defense against whatever attack is coming your way. Very human. Caveat, 
right? Is when you are getting super defensive and the other person can mimic and backtrack to you exactly what you said, exactly what you've said, those walls can go down. And if you're a high volume or you're frustrated, not only are the walls coming down, you're also feeling understood. And it's critical because most couples will not backtrack effectively. And so the other person doesn't feel understood. And these layers keep coming up. It's like, I've said it three times. You're not getting it. I'm telling you, this is how it is. But I've told you four times now, this is what I need. And, and it's like, we don't hear each other. We don't understand. And understanding and hearing what I've noticed is that it's not the same as listening. Like none of it, you can be listening to somebody. You can be actively there in the conversation. I'm here with you. But for the other person to feel understood, the only way is for them to feel like you heard what they said. For them to think that you heard what they said is yes, the body language, you're being present, you're looking them in the eye, you're there, you're facing them with your shoulders and your your hips and your feet, like you're in alignment. They see that you're there with them, yes. And for them to feel like you understand their point, what they're saying, especially if someone's frustrated, it's like, no, you don't understand. I told you to call me back, you didn't call me back. I'm frustrated, you don't care about me, you don't make me important, you don't listen. It's like, whoa, right? First of all, it's, so right away, you could get a, a defensive or you could say, okay, hold on. Let me try to understand where this is coming from. And for me to understand where it's coming from, the first thing, my first step is I need to acknowledge what you've said and make sure that you know that I hear the grievance that you're bringing to me. And this is especially true, I think, with like men and women. There's a book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. There's no question that that book has a lot of insights. Sean Gray, I believe, I'll link to that too. Amazing book about just the differences in communication, starts with socialization and just actual, the, the way that our brains are wired and women use more words than men on average to explain a point, which you might be hearing today. However, I am doing what I can to be thorough. I think this is an important topic and we've got a lot of offshoots that are really, really cool concepts to help you. And that helped me in my marriage and help couples that I work with. Um, and I would say that if you're going to show up to a relationship and always take things personally, it's going to be a lot harder. <laughs> so if you can detach and then use backtracking to go ahead and understand that person's point of view, whether you agree with it or not, but you say, hey, I hear you. I hear that you're frustrated because I didn't call you after my meeting. It's like, yeah, I am. It's like, I hear you. I see that that's frustrating and it really bothered you. It's like, yeah. It's like, okay, so, you know, how was your day? What, what did you want to tell me on the call? I'd love, I'd love to chat with you now. It's like, no, I don't want to talk with you now. You, you don't call me back. It's like, okay, then if the person still doesn't back down to any degree or, or sensitize to any degree, kind of soften, I guess I mean, not sensitize, but soften with you, then I think there's an opportunity to question and say, if it's authentic, you can apologize, right? So, hey, I hear that this frustrated you. After the meeting, I went straight to lunch and I, I didn't make time for it. And I see how frustrated you are. And I'm really sorry. And next time, if I can't call you back in that window, I will send you a text. You know, you've got to find that thing to make repairs. 
and to, but, but don't promise something you won't keep up. Right. So that's another thing I know so many times it's like, I'll just say, sorry to get this person off my back. That's where you get contempt starting to build and resentment and lots of issues. So, I mean, definitely it's not about making promises that sound good that you can't keep. That's a big no, no in this space. Um, So I think if you can genuinely apologize and come up with some sort of solution, if you don't have an idea of what a solution could be for next time, like, Hey, you know, I, I hear that you're frustrated. I'm really sorry. That wasn't my intention. I got caught up with my next thing what can I do next time to make this better if I can't call? It's like, well, and maybe they'll have an idea. Maybe they won't. Maybe you can talk it through. There's so many permutations of this, which is why it's interesting. You know, specific scenarios are interesting. And maybe in future episodes, I'll bring in some specific scenarios that we can kind of work through and talk through together if that's of interest. But I think for the purposes of this discussion, backtracking, acknowledging through backtracking so that that person feels understood is going to be a huge help to criticism, contempt, alongside the curiosity that we talked about in terms of asking sort of how this person is feeling, what it is you'd like them to do, sharing, and then the the Gottman ideas for the person who's criticizing in terms of some shifts. Next one is defensiveness, as I said, victimizing yourself to ward off a perceived attack and reverse the blame. So if you're doing this, their recommendation is to take responsibility. So um, accept your partner's perspective and offer an apology for any wrongdoing. So instead of, you know, oh, but I didn't call you because my phone died. And, you know, actually, you never call me back when you say you will. And so you just you're kind of making yourself seem like a victim and also reversing the blame onto them and putting up that shield, their idea to take responsibility so hey you know I I didn't call you back and I see that and next time as I just kind of alluded to so I I think taking responsibility is good but also that understanding piece so I think I sort of addressed this with the backtracking I think that what helps a lot if somebody's getting defensive and putting they're just trying to deflect you think of like a shield and they're just deflecting anything you're saying, it's like, no, but you did this and no, but you didn't take out the garbage. No, but I did this and I cooked dinner. So why should I have to cook lunch today or dinner today? Or why should I have to do this? Or like, they just start throwing it right back at you, kind of like deflecting everything. I think that that person, first of all, feels attacked by what you're saying. That's why they're getting defensive. And they probably want to be heard and understood too. And maybe a bit of appreciation and maybe a bit of curiosity too around like, hey, okay, you know, if you if you could share that with that person in a different format, they might not get so defensive. They're putting those walls up, they're deflecting and they're pushing it back onto you because they can't take it in, whatever feedback, whatever it is you're saying. So if you find people around you are very defensive or you're making somebody or your partner defensive, I think that defensiveness is because of the way that that message is being shared. They're not ready for it. They don't feel in a safe environment or they don't feel safe with the way you're saying the feedback. They don't feel safe to take that in. Because as I said at the beginning or earlier, If there's some people who can tell you, hey, you know, um, I really think that this and this might work better. You want to try that? And you're like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Great. Good idea. Thanks so much. And we totally don't bat an eye, right? I think defensiveness comes in when we feel like someone's really attacking us or, again, our character or, you know, we're not good enough or they're just doing it to be difficult. Like we have all these different ideas in our heads about why they're doing it and we can't take it for let's say the well-intentioned feedback and we can't learn from it because right away shield is up. Don't, you know, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear it. 
So I think that if, if someone, if your partner or someone in your life is defensive regularly, I think it's in your approach and it's really up to you to take some responsibility about how it is that you're approaching that person with whatever it is you're saying. And then if you're somebody that's regularly defensive, I think that there's room there for you to explore, okay, what am I, what am I scared of? Right. I think that's the key question in that one. Like, what am I, what am I scared of? What do I think they're seeing or, or putting it down? And of course, right. If this is, so if there's somebody that's being defensive and there's somebody with contempt and they're attacking your sense of self and your character, and they're just putting you down and you're defending, then I mean, Hey, okay. Right. We see that we can see how that dynamic would sort of butt up against each other and be pretty destructive. So I, I think it's looking at both people's motivations, but in terms of defensiveness, if you are finding yourself to be defensive, it's like, Hey, what are, what am I insecure about here? What am I worried about? What am I scared of? What's, where's this, where's this coming from? But those specific questions, because I think if we get defensive, it's because we feel like we're wrong, bad, not good enough. These kind of core qualities where it's like, well, but you never take out the garbage and you don't do this and you don't do that because we're not willing to maybe look at the fact that, hey, you know what? I've been forgetful lately because I've been really busy with work or I haven't been feeling well or I've been really nervous or I, you know, you've got a reason for what it is you're doing. Whatever that reason is, you've got a reason. But instead of looking into the reason of why you haven't done something or why you didn't call them back or looking internally, you're just deflecting because you don't want to look at yourself. And so if you're regularly defensive, I think it's a real opportunity for self, self-growth and, and self-awareness to kind of take a look, take a look in and see, uh, you know, why it is that you're trying to ward off a perceived attack and maybe clarify. That's, a, that's kind of a next step tactic in a conversation. If you're feeling defensive, you feel like, whoa, are you attacking me here? And you're kind of like, check it, you're, you're ready with your shield up. I think if, if you're that person, and I know some of those people then, and I've been that person, it's, hey, you know, you, you just said, um, you know, you think that you think I don't need another drink or you think that I should get a new car or this can be especially, especially, um, especially good with parents where, you know, you might go home for the holidays or be around people where you feel like they're judging you. And that's where we get defensive because we feel that judgment, right? And so it's like, well, what about you? And da, 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 da. I think if you're in that situation with parents, I think it's really interesting to consider, okay, what is their motivation? And if you can ask them, I mean, ask them, right? Be like, hey, you know, um, you're asking me if I'm going to have another kid or you're asking me if we're going to get married or you're asking about my job. You know, where is this coming from? <laughs> if you can, if you can ask that genuinely, or if you can say, hey, you know, um, this topic really makes me uncomfortable. I'm wondering why you're asking. And they might say, you know, I care about you or whatever. And, and if there's a boundary there for you to draw, like if someone's talking about a certain subject that really makes you uncomfortable for whatever reason, I mean, there's, there's always room to draw a boundary. And I think that's a whole other episode around how do you do that with people it can be very of a elusive for, for some how to set boundaries. I totally get that. So, uh, but I, I think there's just something to look at if you are regularly defensive with most people or certain relationships. And if people are defensive towards you, there's an opportunity to look at your approach and how it is that you're giving feedback or sharing things that might be less. You could alter your approach, your tone of voice or the way that you phrase things so that it's what you're saying is not perceived as attacking. 
So those are the two sides of that coin. I think in the last one is stonewalling, withdrawing to avoid conflict and convey disapproval, distance, and separation. Ooh, I get this one. This is, this is for sure somebody that's low volume. So we talked about low, high volume. The high volume person is yelling and getting really agitated and you can tell that their volume's going up. A low volume person, somebody that's in fight, that's in flight or freeze, somebody that's kind of just totally emotionally flooded and overwhelmed, they're just going to go silent <laughs> and they're not going to be able to verbalize what's going on. And um, I think that's, that's one way to stonewall. We have to be careful here because, again, if you're emotionally flooded, you're not doing it necessarily consciously on purpose to be malicious to the person. You're emotionally, like you're overwhelmed. And even physiologically, your body is like, the processes are freezing to protect you. So I think that's one thing. I think there's also conscious stonewalling where people are pouting and they're frustrated. And so it's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And they kind of walk away and you can imagine a toddler kind of stomping off. Right. And, and then we kind of distance ourselves to show that disapproval, as I said, and, and that's a different thing. That's sort of like a, an I'll show you or kind of a punishment story. Right. So I think if you do this, if you're somebody that stonewalls other people, the, the recommendation from, from Gottman's Institute is to take a break and spend that time doing something soothing and distracting. So physiological self-soothing, um, which, yeah, I mean, yes, and I think that if you're going to, if you're somebody that's low volume, it's too much for me, you know, I need a break from you. We talked about this earlier in the episode. That means, okay, you've, you've got to convey that to your, to your partner so that they don't perceive it as disapproval and I'm punishing you by not talking to you. So if you're doing it because you genuinely need time to kind of bring it down, slow it down, uh, consider it. Some people like to think, you know, mull things over. I think that's fair. There's a notification that can happen to your partner to support their understanding so that they're not sitting there going, what happened? I'm talking to you. I'm not done talking to you yet. What's going on? Why are you, where are you going? Why are you going? So especially if they're high volume, but if they're also low volume, then two people stonewalling, it's like, okay, I'm out of here. And you go to separate parts of the house and, you know, we're just not going to deal with this. And I have definitely dealt with that situation too, where it's like, forget you. Okay. And it can last for, and you know, it can, this can even go to weeks, months, years. This can turn into a full-fledged grudge that you have with the person. I mean, oh, <laughs> you can create some big walls. So I think if you have this tendency and then if you get stuck, so not only do you go away and you say, I'm done with this, but then you start building up that higher and higher wall and you really start building a, a grudge that you can't get away from and you have that tendency. I think there's a lot of work there to be done around letting go around forgiveness. There's a lot of, so many, there's, oh, there's Ho'oponopono, which is a practice where you essentially just, it's a forgive forgiving practice i can share a link to that which is really fascinating i think that can help i think any kind of journaling or self-voice noting or looking at what 
what it is that you're frustrated about. And again, if you're emotionally flooded in the moment, I think it's really good to post process that interaction. But then if you hold on to it, those resentments and grudges, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. And I definitely have been in this situation. I think it's an active task to be, to hold a grudge. And we have that resentment stored in our body. And so anything that we can do to remove a longstanding grudge and forgive that person for ourselves, for our own sake. And they always say it, right? Like if you're angry with someone, you're really, you know, hurting yourself. If you have a grudge, you're really like, it's all, if it's on your heart, it's impacting you. You don't even know how the other person is feeling or dealing with it, or do they, do they even perceive the grudge? I mean, depending on what kind of relationship we're talking about. So that's kind of, I think, an extreme, maybe it's not even stonewalling. I feel like that's like next level of not only do I not want to talk about this right now and I'm punishing you, but I'm going to continue to punish you. And I don't want anything to do with you. This happens a lot in family dynamics, right? We see it these estranged from your parents or certain sibling or dynamics like that. I know definitely it happens also with blended families, any kind of step-parent relationships. Those are hard. And I totally, from personal experience, like it's not an easy road to blend a family and have, have that experience. So, I mean, there's so many ways where I think all of these show up and it's not just about romantic relationships and it's really a lifelong endeavor to understand them. And you might find you're more comfortable with some of these than others and dealing with them or you might have tendencies toward one or the other. Um, But if I was just to wrap up with stonewalling, I would say if you are the stonewaller and you're the one that kind of goes off to yourself, I think that that can be okay. I think that the person The person at the other end of the table needs to know that you're doing it for yourself and you need a break. And if you're doing it, not for that, but because you want to punish them or convey disapproval, I think that there's something there around being able to fully express yourself. So if you're upset with someone and you're frustrated and your tendency is to retreat, to show them that you're upset, but you never, it doesn't have to be immediate. But if you never come back and say, hey, you know, I had to step away because I was really hurt by what you said, or I felt really disappointed or sad or frustrated, or, you know, I I walked away because one, two, three, I felt da, 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 whatever. That allows you to share what happened and close the loop for the other person. Because if you never share with them what the frustration was on your end and you just silent, I mean, yes, you're going to make them anxious and you're going to put them through some sort of mental turmoil. Maybe you won't, maybe they'll just move on. So your whole intended idea of stonewalling and pulling away and I'll show them, you know, they might not care, which is a big risk, right? Especially if the person is not like you, if they don't have the same tendency, they might not sit there and ruminate. They might go, okay, I don't know what's up with them and kind of go on to their next thing. So again, doing that to kind of I'll show you kind of mentality, I think that's hurting you as the stonewaller way more than the other party most of the time. So if you can, hey, this is too much for me right now. I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. We're not getting anywhere. I need a break. This, you know, this for me, can we come back to this tonight or tomorrow or at this specific time? 
I pick this up again and I'm going to collect my thoughts and think about this because I'm like, I'm done with this for the moment. And if you want to go a step further, because if you're somebody like that and the other party's like, what? But, and they might go down this rabbit hole. Do you even love me? Are we okay? Is this, you know, you're making the other person insecure and destabilized in the relationship, depending on how well they know you and all these factors. But if they feel like, oh my God, what now what? You're just walking away. What's going on? Then I think you can also add in if you're at a point too, but I think it's really useful to say, look, this is for me. I need this time. I still care about you. I just want to collect my thoughts so that I can come to this conversation in a, in a better way. So I can actually share with you what I'm thinking. I still care about you. You might hold their hand or kind of, you know, hug, whatever the physical touch piece totally depends on the dynamic. So don't take me the wrong way here. It, it, this is very nuanced and I'm not trying to give any kind of one size fits all here because it doesn't, but I'm trying to create some scenarios around these four horsemen and some strategies and really bring some light to each of them so that if you have a tendency toward one of them or if your partner does, you have some recourse and you have some clarity and understanding about, okay, why are they showing up this way? What can I do about it? Why am I showing up this way? What can I do about it? So that's kind of what I'm approaching this whole, um, let's say, tool. Um, and for the person who's being stonewalled, so as we said, right, so somebody kind of, I'll show you, and they walk out and you're kind of like left high and dry. I'm in the middle of this conversation. Where'd you go? What's going on? I feel insecure, this whole thing. Uh, and that partner is, or that person is not giving you reassurance, not telling you when they're coming back. And even worse, if it's not in person, right? Because you're texting them, you're calling them. They've just like gone really hard, really, really hard. I, I know it personally, it sucks. So yeah, it sucks. I can <laughs> all, I mean, all of these are really hard, right? So let, I can acknowledge that. Uh, so when that happens, Oh, here's Max. You're watching on video. Um, my dog just came to say, hey. So if this is happening and you are being stonewalled, so you're not the one doing the stonewalling, but someone is stonewalling you, I think that while the first thing would be to stabilize yourself. So take a deep breath. They just walked out of the room or they're not answering my calls or they've just left me to my own devices and just kind of stopped interacting with me. I think one thing would first be to bring yourself back to some level of homeostasis, like some level of equilibrium where, you know, you're just riled up, you might be crying or your heart might be beating. There might be like, you know, it's a really intense conversation potentially. I think the first thing would be to try to come back to some sense of normal. That might be via taking a walk, meditating, running, whatever kind of activity, but very, from a very physical standpoint, I think that it's useful to kind of come back into your body, come back into the present moment that situation is no longer present. So not ruminating about it and still seething in anger, but trying to come down off of that emotional wave and come back into the present moment, which is okay. This person has taken a break from this, whether they shared with you why and all that bit, which would be nice. And you can ask them for that next time, perhaps, or after the situation has subsided, you can say, hey, here's, you know, I would love it if you told me when you're going to come back, reassured me that you still love me etc. Like you can, you can, you can ask for that when the situation has been calmed down, I would say. Uh, but if, 
you can't ask for that in the moment and they're gone and you're kind of feeling high and dry, just left to the, your own devices. I think that physical coming back to your own self in the present moment and releasing that because that moment has passed and coming into the present moment and what is presently happening via some kind of physical activity. And um, there is something called shaking and I can put uh, I can put a video to that as well, where essentially you're shaking your body there it's you can do it systematically or you can just do it based off of what you feel you need and it can re really help to sort of reset the nervous system that one's really really useful i think at least for me i really like it um max my dog does it just as a reset all the time he'll just kind of shake his whole body and i i love seeing that because it seems to be so instinctual so that could be a real help um, but anything that can kind of bring you back to the present moment and then I think if you do want to think about it again at a later time or when you've kind of brought yourself back to some sense of calm, I think what's possible is to maybe journal about it, journal about the frustration, maybe call somebody, hey, you know, are you willing and able right now to listen? I, I just want to get this off my chest and kind of set a time box around it. Hey, you know, want to chat about this for 30 minutes with I think the caveat and I definitely this happens all the time where you kind of just keep venting and venting and venting and you think it'll make you feel better but it kind of makes the situation worse because you're just reliving it and kind of going over every detail and ruminating and ruminating and it doesn't necessarily help so I think time boxing that venting is really useful and then once you've time boxed it and you've kind of said okay I've had my 30 minutes of just explaining the situation, laying it out, being frustrated, sharing with you, being heard, getting it off my chest. I think that moving to the next thing is really important, whether it's, you know, a work task or a meditation task, reading your next thing, another area of your life, giving that area, that relationship of your life, a bit of time to cool off for yourself too. And depending on if you feel comfortable, you can go back to that person after a day or hours or whatever you feel comfortable and of course check in and say hey you know that that conversation ended really abruptly will you let me know when you're ready to come back to it because i'd really like to talk about it with you something like that right can really be of use to make sure that you're also putting it out there saying hey you know i don't feel complete with this so whenever it is that you want to come back to this let's do that because it's important to me so that is the four horsemen, both sides of the equation, I think we went through. If you are the criticizer, contemptor, defensive person, stonewaller, or if you're the one on the receiving end, I think we went through all eight of them. And I really hope you found this useful. If you did, please do like, share, subscribe, comment, send the link to a friend, whatever it is you feel you want to do to get this out in the world more or share your thoughts on it. It all makes a huge difference to me being able to do this podcast. So appreciate you for listening and or watching me in the very first video episode ever of me doing a solo, solo episode. Pretty exciting stuff. And here we are at the end. So thank you again for being here. I look forward to seeing you again next time. And I really hope you a great rest of your day, week, and Really, I wish you loving relationships based on this conversation because I think good relationships make all the difference in our lives. So I hope 
that you experienced that in your coming days and weeks. And I look forward to seeing you again soon.